It's the most anticipated WNBA season in history. And you know what that means. Court is back in session. Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoop. And I'm Jordan Robinson. All WNBA season long, we'll be bringing you interviews with star athletes, analysis on your favorite teams, and lots of hot takes. Order, order in the court. Follow and listen to Queens of the Court on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. It's real simple. You know, if you take a person's legs away, they can't run. Turn out, baby. That's it. Bears fans, this is Take the North with your hosts, David Haw and Dan Weeder. We're going to take the North and never give it back. Welcome to the Take the North podcast. I'm David Haw from the Mullane Haw Show on 670 The Score. Dan Weeder is from the Chicago Tribune out at Howells Hall. We are talking to you days before the Bears go for their second straight victory out in Los Angeles against the Chargers. Dan, this has been a week focused a lot on Tyson Bajent. There's a lot of other things going on. What was it like at Howell's Hall? How would you describe the Bears as they prepared to do something they've never done on <laughs> Matt Eberflus, and that's win two games in a row? Yeah, I mean, I think that there is um, a, a focus here and an understanding that they have a chance here to go on the road against a quality opponent in prime time and inject some relevance back into their season. If they win this game, David, as you mentioned, the first uh, stretch of consecutive victories in the Medieval Zero would take them, uh, you know, to three and five with a chance to go on the road next week to New Orleans and get to four and five. And we all know we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. The conversation in a lot of ways has gotten ahead of itself this week in terms of the quarterback topic. But you have a football team here that understands it's got a winnable game if it plays well. And, and so I think there is uh, some optimism regarding that. Let's get into all of it in our opening drive. It's time for the opening, the opening drive. So before we get into some of the quarterback uh, <laughs> conversation, because it's been dominant all week in Chicago, and certainly it's understandable, um, injury situation as we sit here after Thursday's practice, we know that things could change, but two key guys come to mind, uh, I, I guess three. Braxton Jones is off of the injured reserve list, and he's now activated, and he can return. Darnell Wright, the right tackle, um, had been banged up with a toe injury as well as the shoulder situation that he was favoring uh, in Sunday's victory. And then Eddie Jackson in the secondary safety. Sounds like he may be ramping up for a possible return. How about those three guys, Dan? Yeah, you're hopeful on all three of them uh, to be on the field Sunday night in uh, L.A. Obviously, Braxton Jones coming off the, the layoff from the neck issue. He's missed the last five games, has the opportunity to be activated anytime here in the next three weeks to return to the field. And and that would give you, uh, you know, that that reliability that you had through the entire first year of Braxton Jones in terms of every snap down in, down out, knowing what you can expect at that position. You're trying to get more hole on the offensive line as soon as possible. This Eddie Jackson injury has been such a roller coaster uh, since the bears left Tampa in September. And you're just kind of waiting for a stretch of consistent healthiness to really believe that he's going to be a long-term uh, contributor to this defense. You got to see that with your own eyes, as you know, and then obviously Darnell Wright, that's probably the biggest one of the week is just seeing how he can gut through the discomfort he's feeling in his shoulder. He has a brace that he's wearing at practice. He is attempting to uh, push himself in every way, shape, and form to, to, to get back and stay on the field uh, for, for Sunday. And he did an admirable job against the Raiders of playing through discomfort, playing through limitation 
And you go back to the, the, the video and you see how limited the use of that one arm was against the Raiders and how effective he was still able to play. It tells you a lot about the, uh, the grind in that kid and the toughness that he showed. ESPN's Jeremy Fowler is reporting that Justin Fields is targeting the Saints game as a possible return. I don't know what information he's using, what side. Is it the Bears? Is it the quarterback? Is it somebody else? But I, I think that probably makes sense given the original prognosis and the fact that he's not been placed on injured reserve. I think that there's a lot that goes into what happens if that is indeed the case. But is that consistent at least with the timetable that you're familiar with and that the Bears addressed anything regarding Justin Fields? Well, look, they've said all along that things are progressing in the direction they want them to progress. It's all about, again, grip strength and the right thumb. It's all about how can uh, you be functional with whatever limitations you might be feeling in your throwing hand. And the Bears will continue to, to con- monitor that with their own doctors, with their in-house training staff, and with Justin's own feedback to, to see how he's doing uh, You know, with things as basic as taking a snap things as basic as throwing a football, you know, and they'll, they'll evaluate as they go. Uh, they were able to kind of dodge the bullet of this being a longer term injury. Uh, if Justin is able to get back next week for the saints, which obviously for his own purposes would be very, 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 uh, you know, beneficial and valuable. Uh, it would be good news for this football team because you want to, uh, to, to be able to have decisions. My guess is they won't decide who starts a quarterback against the Saints by arm wrestling. <laughs> but if they would, I think Tyson Bajan might get the advantage just based on his heredity. Um, Maybe they should do thumb wrestling. That would also give him an advantage if you have a dislocated <laughs> thumb that would re-injure Justin Fields. And maybe that's what they'll want by Monday morning. Who knows, depending on what uh, happens Sunday night. So that gets us to the quarterback. Obviously, it's the biggest topic of the week. It's going to be uh, a national story that if – uh, Sunday Night Football is the biggest platform there is, then then I think then um, you can just imagine how many people are going to be introduced to the tale of Tyson Bajan on Sunday night. How would you say he's handled the attention this week? Obviously, there was a connection between last week, Wednesday's podium appearance and his poise on the field. How has he handled the success when he appeared to reporters on this Wednesday? No, look, I, I, I think that there's probably a lot new that's coming at Tyson Bajan of even just the demands that go with, uh, you know, the, the role of being the starter of, of having to go do those press conferences weekly with the local media, having to go do production meetings late in the week and, and manage your schedule accordingly, just to, to, to account for a few more things that are, are heaped on your plate. I mean, like Tyson Bajan is pretty consistent in terms of his steadiness, in terms of his composure, in terms of his confidence. He used the phrase again on uh, Wednesday afternoon, nerved up to describe how he is in most game weeks, nerved up until he gets his mind completely wrapped around a game plan. He's still going through that process now with the hope of uh, boarding a plane Saturday to to California with, with firm grasp of what he's being asked to do. As you've heard throughout the week, a lot of people want Tyson Bajan to throw the ball down the field more. They want to see if his arm strength is limited. They want to see if the Bears can have a vertical passing game or if the game plan and the uh, ball distribution that was used against the Raiders is all he's capable of. I would call us probably interested onlookers and seeing what it looks like against the Chargers on Sunday. And so uh, I think everyone in a very lively debate in Chicago will benefit from a second game to be able to test what's real in this undrafted rookie out of Division II Shepard and what might be just kind of flimsy in terms of his skills and ability to, to play winning football. You know, I love the story and a proud member of the Bajancy, as I, as I have to keep reminding people who call me a Justin Fields apologist. So I asked this question with, with all 
all the respect in the world for the small town angle because I myself, as you know, am from a very small town and and led a semi-sheltered existence up until um, I left for college. I, I didn't fly in an airplane until I was 17 years old. Uh, it was it was something that you're not exposed to a lot when you're from uh, small communities like that. In some cases, my case, uh, Northwestern Indiana. Has Tyson Bajan been to California? Uh, you know, honestly, I, it's funny you bring that up because as we were getting toward the end of his uh, media session on Wednesday, it was a question that popped into my head because he talks a lot about how little he's left home in West Virginia and how that was part of the reason he stayed at Shepherd. And he just was he's a, a very family oriented uh, kid who who hasn't really been a world traveler. So my guess would be no, it's just an educated guess. I don't have firm knowledge. I'm sure we'll learn more about that in the days to come, but uh, this is something. It's it's eye-opening, uh, all of this. I remember talking to Bajan at the end of, of training camp and just in terms of him ba- basically being holed up in a hotel here locally, you know, in Vernon Hills slash Lake Forest uh, as the Bears were going through through training camp and now kind of having to navigate that world of, okay, now I've got to find my first place to live away from West Virginia, you know, and I don't know where he where he eventually settled. But again, it's it's a reminder that uh, of something we all often overlook. It's the fact that this is a 23 year old kid kind of making his way in the world for the first time and dealing with a lot of new you know, in terms of uh, life experiences and then obviously engaging in this NFL experience, which is, is surreal. And for the record, I mean, football stuff aside, this has been so much fun to watch him handle. I've really enjoyed and appreciated the fact that he's handled it with as much uh, confidence and humility as he has. Yeah. And I got a kick out of Wednesday you know, when he was saying, I was talking to some dude from Huntington who told me <laughs> that, you know, I was the first – uh, West Virginia-born quarterback to start a, a, an NFL game. Um, that was since 1974. Joe Gilliam did it with the Steelers. But that's a very long time and a really cool distinction for somebody in his position to be able to achieve. And it's like it's he's not letting it paralyze him or make too much out of it, but he certainly is savoring all of this attention, almost like in real time, understanding that it could be possibly fleeting. Well, yeah, but I don't even think he thinks of it as fleeting. I think that he understands that that he has had opportunities that have come to his doorstep because he has, um, you know, put in the work to attract them, you know, yeah, and I think he's a, right. a big believer. One of the answers he gave on Wednesday, which was notable in terms of his uh, connection with Luke Getze, is that he he truly admires people who who dive headfirst into their work and have a passion for what they do and 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 try to make sure that they make the most of it. And he's certainly a kid that has done that. And so, like, again, it's an alluring story. I hate that we live in a world now, and it's happened locally this week, where because social media is social media, there's backlash to everything. Even the good stories get overblown to a point where then people on the other side feel the need to to kind of push back on them unnecessarily. And this is one of those instances where this week, the people that have resisted the Tyson Bajan story, or the people that have pushed back on it, like they make no sense to me because this is one of the, the, the cooler sports stories there is. And it should be like one of those waves that you ride until it's done making its way entirely up the beach. And then you just go, man, what a ride that was. Yeah, you're right. I mean, that is the unfortunate reality of today's world. Maybe influenced by social media, people are maybe a hundred percent, hundred percent, hundred percent, and people tend to be uh, typically uh, worried about their own 
narrative or their own uh, projections um, being fulfilled than what's actually happening and enjoying that for what it is. All right, from the football point of view, Dan, I think that you look at uh, the opportunity ahead on Sunday and the Chargers secondary and the Chargers defense being the worst pass defense in the NFL is an invitation. They have given up 20 plays of 25 or more yards. They have given up seven plays of 45 or more yards. Maybe that's uh, getting ahead of ourselves because of the numbers game. But those things, those statistics say, even with two elite pass rushers in in Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa, who is a little bit banged up, there could be a possibility or an opportunity uh, for Tyson Bajant to show off that cannon and to prove that he does have a big arm because DJ Moore is likely to get a step or a step and a half, and the Bears can't pass up those opportunities if they present themselves. I want to read a quote here because I thought it was uh, one of the, the better things that um, Tyson Bajan said this week, and I, I'll, I'll seek it out and search it here as we're talking. But like, there is an opportunity here. The Chargers are worst in the league in terms of pass defense overall. You just referenced the, the chunk plays that they've given up. There is opportunity here, and so much of this opportunity is about how do you scheme up things that attack an opponent's weaknesses with things that you're good at. And so, like anybody that is looking to see whether whether Tyson Bajan has this in his game is going to be rewarded, I think, because there's going to be chances for them to dial things up. There's going to be chances for him to use his field vision, for him to use his decision-making, for him to use his savvy to take some shots. And what he does with those shots is going to go a long way towards, you know, figuring out what what kind of offense this can be with this kid at the steering wheel. And so, um, look, like, it's a fun opportunity. I think you're probably looking forward to it. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. And I think that the world is trying to decipher whether that horizontal heavy check down short completion game that they they played against the Raiders is something that is going to be part of of the norm with Tyson Bajan as a quarterback or if it was kind of opponent specific defense specific and and situation specific I do think they need to start that way I, I do think they need to come out and if for no other reason to create uh that 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 sort of comfort zone again I think they need to come out relatively safe and conservative. Um, I, I, if they want to take the ball, if they you know, win the coin toss, fine, go ahead, uh, have a symbol of aggressiveness. But to me, if you come out against the Chargers, I don't think you're initially trying to prove a point on the first drive. Say, okay, I'm going to throw it deep and I'm going to stretch you out. I think you come out and you establish Deontay Foreman. You run the ball behind your big right offensive mm-hmm. line. If Darnell Wright is there, you're two and a half men uh, right side. And you do what you what worked the last time you won, the most recent time out, and then get settled in. Maybe even get a lead if you do, and then you feel feel a little bit more comfortable. I think it's going to be gradual in terms of the progression. Get him comfortable, and maybe Luke Getzey gets into a rhythm again, which it was in a really good one, and then you can take your shots. So, so two things um, to that point, and the first one is I'll I'll just read you the quote from Tyson Bajan because he was pressed by Mark Potash on how you look at a Chargers defense that has been vulnerable to uh, passing plays down the field, but also got a rookie quarterback in Aiden O'Connell on the ground seven times, including six times by Khalil Mack, and how you balance that, how, how delicate it is to try to take advantage of 
of what should be there for you, but not put yourself in harm's way seeking that out. And Tyson said, that's why the NFL is so hard. You've got to know when to eat a play. You've got to know when to take advantage of the play. You've got to know when to escape and you've got to know when to throw it away or take a sack. Once again, we're not trying to be careful with anything we're doing. We just want to play our game as effective and as in sync as we possibly can. I thought that was an awesome mindset uh, to, to take into this game, which with those dynamics at play. It's impossible not to compare uh, answers and press conferences and things like that. But Justin Fields, that that was like an answer that you would love for him to have provided at some point in time. I don't know that he's always been that clear about, you know, sometimes you have to eat it. Sometimes all, all the things that he said. And, and I think in a nutshell, that sums up what makes people excited about Tyson Bajan. You know, we talk about uh, the, the Chargers sacking Aiden O'Connell as much as they did. Khalil Mack had six. I, I know Aiden O'Connell was in a college program where they got rid of the ball fairly quickly, but I don't think he gets rid of the ball as quickly as Tyson Bajan does and just on a small sample size or has that awareness to do that. I think that what he said in, in that answering that question kind of makes you feel better about whatever – whatever game plan Luke Getze arrives upon because he's going to have the presence of mind to know what it takes in every given snap. Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. I keep going back to that 88-yard touchdown drive that the Bears had to open the second half against the Raiders and the efficiency of that and the productivity of it and the way that it it basically ended the game in the third quarter. It gave the Bears a 21-3 lead, and they got in the end zone with a whole bunch of really good decisions and positive plays. You know, And, and, and so those who kind of push back and, oh, Tyson Bajan only threw for 166 yards, well, the Bears only had – really that possession in the second half. That was the one meaningful possession they had after halftime. And then they had such control of the game that their only two remaining possessions were essentially a couple handoffs to run time off the clock and victory formation at the end of the game to seal it. And so situationally, your quarterback puts you in a position advantageously to win a football game. And that is a skill. And so I think like the the conversation locally has gotten kind of wild this week, in my opinion, because Everyone sort of, I'm sure it's because of the intoxicating rush that Fields provided last year with those highlight reel plays. People have forgotten what some of the greatest strengths of elite quarterbacks in the NFL are, and it's field vision. It's that internal clock. It's game management. It's situational awareness. It's accuracy. It's efficient. It, it, it's it's decision making. It's rhythm. It's pocket poise. It's ability to get get move around the pocket. It's it's that you know competitive charisma that that Bajan shows. And so like this idea that he's lacking in in all of these fundamental quarterback 
skills that you need to exceed at a high level in this league is is crazy to me. No, he's not going to run as fast as Justin Fields. No, he's not going to have as strong of an arm. But all those things I just mentioned are things that are incredibly valuable to playing the hardest position in sports at a successful level. And I just don't know why that, that hasn't been sort of at the center of the conversation more this week. I think, I think in Chicago it's because of the fear of the obvious comparison and contra- contrast with Justin Fields, maybe because all the things that you said and pointing out how fundamentally sound Tyson Bajan is to many yeah. people that's perceived as a knock on Justin Fields, which is why I go back to our conversation on Monday. I think it was the disclaimer. Everything you say about Tyson Bates yes. is not necessarily related to any evaluation of Justin Fields. And it takes discipline to remember that. But what you just described is, is something that will sound like a knock on Justin Fields, but it isn't really all those all those traits that you 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 ticked off there Tyson Bajan when you watch him and I and I don't you know obviously we haven't seen him a lot as an NFL quarterback but I talked to Norv Turner was was in uh, the studio and the Mullen Haw show earlier this week longtime NFL coach quarterback you know expert and guru he said watch Tyson Bajan play he goes and I went back and I watched the the, the second half he goes watch the way that he keeps his eyes up the field when he's trying to buy himself some time Watch the way he just instinctively, that's not something he's training himself. It's just something that instinctively happens. He goes, other young quarterbacks don't do that. Guys who haven't had 7,000 snaps at the position or throws don't do that. And that Norris point was Tyson Bajan does that so naturally and keeps his eyes up the field that he's always waiting for something to open up, that that tells him a lot of other things that can be assumed about his fundamentals because that can be hard to train or get somebody ingrained into a quarterback and is a really interesting point. It's not necessarily a knock on Justin Fields, but when you do compare the two, Justin Fields holds on to the ball too long and he, and he drops his eyes and, and then it, it, bad things, bad things happen. Tyson Bajan, it doesn't happen as often yet because that's the way he has been trained and he's he's fundamentally probably ahead of many quarterbacks who have better uh, athleticism than he does. This is just off the top of my head, but I, I'll feel pretty convicted in saying this. The five, five quarterbacks that have played at the highest level in the 21st century are probably Brady, Mahomes, Manning, Breeze, Rogers. Right. Those probably jump to your brain as the MVPs and Super Bowl trophies and everything else that that come with it. And, And you look at some of the things that those guys did to win football games, to overcome whatever limitations they may have had and to use their strengths advantageously to take over games and control games like it, it, it's just not as hard as, as we're going to make it. Now, look, like there's no reason I should be checking off the names of those quarterbacks in a conversation about an undrafted rookie out of Shepard that has made one start. Do not at me and say that I, I, I'm making those comparisons. I'm just saying, like, understand what the position in this league requires. Understand what the demands of this position are. Understand how the greats figure out how to do those things consistently. And consistency is the biggest thing. If we're going to demand that out of Justin Fields and say that one of the biggest reasons that that he's been uh, limited in his two-plus seasons as the Bears starter is because he hasn't been able to put things together consistently, then we're certainly not going to overreact or jump to conclusions after one freaking start from a kid out of, out of Shepherd University. And so let's see what happens Sunday against the Chargers. It's all we can do is accumulate more evidence, judge it for what it is, and be either appropriately critical or appropriate 
appropriate praise or appropriately praiseworthy. That's at Dan Wiederer. <laughs> I before E, at, yeah. At Take the North Pod. Either way, if you want to insult him, do it that way. All right, let's move on to our numbers game and predictions. Great numbers package in this Chicago Tribune, chicagotribune.com. Dan, I enjoyed all of them. What do you want to uh, touch on? I have I have one that I would like to incorporate. It's yours, but I'll 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 introduce it. All right. Well, I'm going to start with this one because it's the only way to get it out of the way quickly, and it's 17 to 16, and that is the score of the last time that the Chargers and the Bears played. It is a game uh, fully embedded in my brain from uh, week eight of the 2019 season because it was uh, basically the Titanic hitting the iceberg. It was it was the loss that 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 kind of confirmed that the Bears' 100th season ship was was headed to the bottom of the ocean. You remember what happened at the end of that game. Yes, there were a couple of fourth quarter Mitch Trubisky turnovers. Yes, there was a Mitch Trubisky 58-yard touchdown pass to Taylor Gabriel. That was incomplete because it was thrown too long. But on the final sequence of the game, the Chicago Bears marched into uh, scoring territory and were in range for a game-winning field goal. And with 43 seconds left, Matt Nagy chose not to run another running play, not to run another passing play, not to move the ball toward the middle of the field for his kicker. And he took a kneel down and he set Eddie Pinero up for a 41-yard field goal that the kicker with a strong right-to-left wind pushed a li- pulled a little bit to the left of the upright in the north end zone at Soldier Field and the Bears lost. And it opened up a week of what the hell was that questioning (laughs) of the head coach, of the kicker, of everybody involved. And it was one of those moments that in Chicago Bears history will forever be remembered because, again, you remember what the expectations for that season were. And that was such a catastrophic loss. It was the second of four in a row that basically torpedoed the season. You remember it well, don't you? I do remember well. I think that was a post game where Matt Nagy got a little testy. And with questions. you, yeah, with me about <laughs> and me, uh, and me as well. Yeah, I think that was like you know, what are you doing? What were you thinking? Where are you going to work next year? Or but you know that well though he got he <laughs> yeah, lasted a couple of years. Yeah. Than that. that that's something else. Seventeen to sixteen. All right, I didn't realize it was in twenty nineteen. I thought it was more earlier than that, but it had to be twenty nineteen because that was Nagy and that was the season where. Everything went wrong that could go wrong. That's a good one. Okay, I'm going to introduce one. I'm going to steal it from your package because I couldn't believe this. I actually double-checked you just to make sure that good. in case I needed to issue a correction via your, your editors there. Six. That's how many straight losses the Bears have had on Sunday Night Football. Six <laughs> straight losses on Sunday Night Football. I mean, they must hate Kerry Underwood. This is awful. Six straight losses all by double digits, average score 32 to 15. The last one was a glorious memory. It was the season that everything went right up until the end. 2018, 15 to 6 defeat of the Rams in December. Vic Fangio outsmarted Sean McVay and the Bears defense prevailed. But it's been that long, very long six loss you know, streak that the Bears have endured on Sunday night football. Yeah, five years since they won on Sunday night. Uh, yeah, and, and and three of those six losses on Sunday night football were to the Packers. Two of them were in L.A., both to the Rams, one at the Coliseum, one at SoFi Stadium, and so there's a lot of parallels there. Thank you for double-checking me. I wish you would do that every week. <laughs> um, six, I'm going to give you another number. Six, it's the sacks 
uh, total by Khalil Mack in week four in the Chargers win over the Raiders. It was a, a, a breakthrough performance by a guy we're all familiar with here in Chicago, a guy who has shown the ability to take over games. But Khalil Mack only has nine sacks in his other 22 games as a Charger. Uh, if you recall, and this was in my numbers package today, the Bears traded away Khalil Mack before the 2022 season for a 2022 second round pick and a 2023 sixth round pick. And then they traded that 2023 sixth round pick right back to the Chargers for two 2022 seventh round picks. And so the net haul from the Khalil Mack trade was that they got Jaquan Brisker, Elijah Hicks, and Trenton Gill. Those are the three they got? Brisker? Hicks and Gill. Hicks and Gill. That's not bad. That's better than I thought in terms of the overall haul. I still don't I mean, I understand why they got rid of them because of the cap hit and everything, but yeah, and where they were in their in their in their stage of, of rebuild. That's not yeah. a bad deal for Ryan Poles. Wouldn't you say it's a probably a thumbs up? So far, so far, especially with the way Hicks has come through in a, a reserve role this year and, and been been pretty reliable there. I'm counting I'm counting a punter as a plus. I guess that's good. Okay, what's the next one? Two more for you. 285.1. That is the average passing yards per game <laughs> for Justin Herbert, who's in his fourth season here and is absolutely rewriting Chargers records all over the place and putting himself all over the NFL record books as well. You turn to the uh, Chargers game notes, and there's like six pages of statistical numbers that you could pull on Justin Herbert that make your jaw drop, particularly coming from Chicago, where we don't have any quarterback numbers to hang on. He is the second all-time uh, in, in average passing yards per game with at least 1,000 passing attempts. Patrick Mahomes is the first. Bears quarterbacks since Herbert entered the league have combined to average 203.6 passing yards per game, so that's almost 82 yards per game less. Uh, Herbert also has 1,458 career completions, the most ever by any NFL quarterback in his first four seasons. Oh, by the way, he has 11 games to go in his fourth season to add on to that record. He's a modern-day Dan Fouts. He has a lot of great numbers. He's got a rocket right arm. I love Justin Herbert. Fact is, though, he hasn't won much. Yeah, well, we'll see. He's got 14 game-winning drives in 55 games, okay? We're, we're constantly demanding game-winning drives from our quarterback in Chicago. The guy's got 14 of them. So let, let's uh, let's give him some credit before we – I'll give him credit. I'm not I'm – not, you know, <laughs> I'd still start him. I'd still take him. I'm just saying. I'm comp- you're, compar- you're comparing him to Bears quarterbacks. I'm comparing him to Patrick Mahomes. Okay, no problem. Uh, my last number for you today is three. It's the number of touchdowns scored by Deontay Foreman. This is uh, brought up because I had a little brain fart and I, I went to the research files to figure out when was the last time a Bears player scored three touchdowns in a game? And well, guess what? It was two weeks ago. It was when DJ Moore did it against the commanders in Washington. I go, oh yeah, I forgot about that so soon. Uh, but so that 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 gave me an, uh, an entry point into looking up the, the players that have had at least three touchdowns in a game over the last 10 seasons. It's Taylor Gabriel, it's Jordan Howard, it's Brandon Marshall twice, it's Matt Forte twice, and it's Greg Olson. And then they were joined by DJ Moore and Deontay Foreman. The last time the Bears had two different players scored three touchdowns in a game in the same season. Curtis Conway, Rashawn Salam, 1995. Wow. That's going way back. I also don't remember Greg Olson scoring three touchdowns. You sure about that? I am sure you're sure about that. Do you remember Greg Olson scoring three touchdowns for the bears? I don't, but it came up in the uh, stat finder uh, search that we did. So I'm sure that he did. (laughs) He was, he was the guy they never should have traded. Mike March was impressed. All right. That's good. Let's bring in Adam Sudzinski to make our predictions quickly here. And um, we'll start with studs. Hey studs. So on a one game winning streak, you going to go with them this week or are you going to go with uh, Justin Herbert? (laughs) No. So, uh, I'm picking the Chargers this week. They're just a better team. 
And uh, so just to go to show you, I'm not totally insane. They're just better. They're just better, and I don't have a lot of faith in the Bears winning back-to-back games. They haven't done that under Matt Eberflus yet. So first time they do, it'll be the the the, the first time. I got the score. What did I say on the on the six seventy score website? Twenty three to twenty two. It's just I'm I'm picking Ooh. odd scores as much as I can. So I think it's going to be close, and I don't know how they I don't know exactly how they get there. Someone's going to get a safety. I'm going to keep predicting a safety until somebody gets a safety because I want it to happen. How good and, is Bajan, how good does Bajan play? I think Bajan's going to be all right. I think he probably throws a pick. We'll say a touchdown and a pick, and maybe a uh, two hundred yards. Keep the keep job. The bar. Keep keeps <laughs> no. <laughs> Justin Fields is going to start once he comes back. It, I, I will say, though, about Bajan, I think that something's been misconstrued about him in the last couple weeks. I think his arm strength is better than what people are saying 100%, about him. 100%, Studs, 100%. Dude, I went back and watched some of his highlights at Shepard. He can throw the ball downfield. Studs, people, people not, created a new narrative because Nathan Peterman came in to throw the Hail Mary. That's right, what everybody's that, leaning on. There was that, and he had some of the ducks that he threw against the uh, Vikings. One, like both times, when I think one was tipped or he had a guy in his face, the other time he's trying to avoid a hit. So, and, and so that created this narrative that his arm is like super weak. I watched one highlight where he threw the ball from the 50 yard line midway into the end zone in the air. Like he can throw the ball downfield. It's not Justin Fields strong, but it's NFL strong. And so, like, I think they're going to be, they are going to be able to throw the ball downfield a little bit. And the reason that things were so, within 20 yards last week is because they were like, oh, the Raiders don't really care to do anything about this. So we're going to keep doing it. Right. <laughs> and, and so <clears throat> anyway, but I still, I do, I do think the Chargers are going to win the game just because they're the better team. They got the better quarterback and they have, I'm kind of worried about what's going to happen with Darnell, Wright, Even if he's healthy, he played with one arm basically last week and they got two premier pass rushers. So, I'm going with the Chargers, right, but I think it's going to be close. 22 studs calls for the Bears to lose again. What kind of fan is he? All two right, weeks well, in a row. <laughs> two weeks in a row. What you got, Dan? What do you think? I'm jumping in the same car studs is in. I wanted to pick the Bears. I really did. I thought uh, of all road environments that you wanted to go into, it's one where they're only uh, uh, real passionate fan is Marianne Dew, who we're going to see about a thousand uh, minutes of on on uh, Sunday Night Football this weekend, and we'll get a lot of a lot of camera time for her. But the Bears, I just don't think, are as good as the Chargers. As much as the Chargers are struggling, they just have more established weapons on both sides of the ball. I've got Chargers 27, Bears 23, reluctantly, because I do think the Bears are playing better, and I do think they are positioning themselves to be able to win these types of games more regularly soon. I have a similar outcome, but it just distracted me for a second. So Marianne Dew is her name. <laughs> yeah. Okay. By by Monday morning, I don't know who I'm going to maybe be pronounce Doe or Dew. I'm not sure. Seeing Marianne Dew or Doe or Travis Kelsey, because I'm sick of both of them. <laughs> this is both overexposed. But anyway, that's a different podcast. <laughs> All right, 28-24 Chargers. I'd love to see Tyson Bajan go into L.A. It's a perfect backdrop for a Hollywood story. I just think he could play well. They could still lose. Tough challenge for the defense. I am a big Justin Herbert fan. They've got some weapons with Keenan Allen. They've got uh, Eckler if he's healthy. They've got a lot of reasons to move the football against that Bears defense. So I think the Bears will be competitive. I hope it's competitive and not one of these double-digit blowouts on Sunday yeah. night. But I think it'll be 28-24 Chargers. Pretty similar. All right, let's finish things up with our two-minute drill. The two-minute drill. The two-minute drill. 
right, so when you look at the, the Chargers and Khalil Mack, obviously, is this the first time he's played against the Bears in a Chargers uniform? And Correct. do you think that he should be feeling uh, any sense of motivation because the team that traded him away, he's pretty happy in Chicago. Yeah, look, like uh, Khalil's time here was was complicated because we all know what he meant to the 2018 Bears. I still go back and I wrote a real long deep dive on the eve of the playoff game against the Eagles about what that entire four month Khalil Mack experience was. It was one of my favorite stories I've written during my you know 10 plus years of the Tribune because it was such a jolt. I mean, you remember the feeling that that dude put in this city in the first week he got here and how it just kept going throughout the entire season to the point that the Bears went into the playoffs truly believing that they were Super Bowl hopefuls. And that, that was like one man's impact on raising everything within the building it was awesome to see uh but obviously the 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 durability wasn't there for the entire time that he was in chicago the production wasn't there for the entire time he was here in chicago covid came around and there was a season full of games without fans in the stands and uh you know so so it, it felt like khalil's time here ended with a fizzle uh, i think there's a great appreciation from anybody who played with him who saw about the the way he went about his his business and the way he uh, attacked his craft we'll see how he handles sunday night um but but certainly that dude uh uh, again, for one season here was was as electric as any football player that, that I've covered in my time in the league. No doubt about it. He was definitely one of the better trades, and he made that season really special. And sorry to see him go, and it's not surprising he's still producing at a high level. I do wonder what his legacy will be. I do wonder how many sacks he'll end up with if he stays healthy and continues to accumulate them. You do wonder if Canton is part of the conversation moving forward. But I have to take a closer look at that at the end of the day. Um when, when you look at uh, what Luke Getze had to say, uh, talking about Tyson Bajan's first start, anything stand out? I thought Luke was a little more reserved uh, and subdued than we're used to, to, to seeing him up there. Like, I think he, he wasn't surprised by the poise that Bajan showed. I think he does believe that, uh, you know, the quarterback has an ability to uh, handle a lot, which gives you as a play caller and as an offensive overseer freedom to, to mix in a lot. And then it's all about just kind of, again, managing the, the game and the situation, which they have ultimate faith that, that he can do um, look like, I, you know, this is, this is going to be interesting. You know, the debate is going to be more lively on Monday, regardless of what happens on Sunday night. And so uh, it's going to be fun to have another, another game to, to, to assess. So Darnell Wright limited in Thursday's practice. Braxton Jones, the same thing. Just to reiterate, do you think they both will start left tackle, right tackle, the bookends? Will they be back together on Sunday night? As long as there's no setbacks, I would see that that being the case. And and look, like the Bears have had to reshuffle on the fly before. Uh, I will say that there is some intrigue if, if needed. Obviously, Larry, Larry Borum would go back in your swing tackle role there. But if anything happened and you had to get deeper down the depth chart, Jatari Carter has been getting some uh, reps at the tackle position in practice. He has that versatility to be uh, a swing tackle slash guard for you, a right tackle slash guard for you, uh, depending on what you need. And last thing is, you know, I miss the newspaper business so much every single day that I like to have all these ideas and, and <laughs> assignments. So next deep dive, I want you to compare and contrast the tattoos on Tyson Bajan's body, torso, <laughs> and DJ Moore's. Because if they if it brought them together and they become something special as a tandem for the Bears and maybe turn this season around, my friend, 
it will be because they bonded over tattoos and you're just the guy to get to the bottom of that story. And where did they bond over tattoos? In the sauna. In the sauna. We talked last week about the the, the bond that Robert Tunyon formed with Tyson <laughs> Bajan in the sauna during training camp. And now we realize that DJ Moore formed a bond in the same place. So maybe Tyson uh, has found a natural connection place for his dudes in the locker room. It's there in that sauna during training camp. So, uh, you know, maybe that maybe that's the real story. Maybe it's not the tattoos. Maybe it's what goes on in the sauna with the Bears players. We know the kid can handle the pressure. We do know that. So, all right, that's a good idea. Anything else before we get out of here? Look, like, you know, again, I, I just think that this is a pivot point in the season where um, if you want to have some feel good, if you want to have some relevance, if you want to have a, a belief that you're climbing that staircase, this is a great opportunity to go win a game as a heavy road underdog and show people that, OK, maybe maybe all the laughing we did at this franchise through the first four weeks was uh, was overdone. And maybe they are truly moving in a, in a good direction. So in, in that regard, I'm looking forward to getting out to, to California. I'm also looking uh, to getting out there because the forecast is a whole lot better than it promises to be here in Chicago over the next several days. So it'll be good to get that, uh, Always that sunshine to go to LA uh, bookkeeping notice for people out there in our audience on Sunday night, right after the game studs and I will be on with a post game reaction while Dan is making deadline. So we will still have a take the North pod post game version and we'll react to whatever happens. You can get us on your free odyssey app. You can get us. Um, you can watch us on the YouTube uh, station from 670 the score and you can just uh, download listen and subscribe give us some feedback i am also doubtful for monday as i travel back from california but because i was able to do a podcast while driving down the kennedy expressway maybe i should try one from uh from the the, the skies up uh, in american airlines on monday and maybe we just annoy the entire back of the plane that would be as great we do our podcast. you know the only thing that would make that better is if you were sitting next to Brad Biggs and doing a podcast while Biggs is trying to take a nap. That would be good theater. We never fly together, so uh, that will not be possible. Because you guys can't, right? It's like, like the, the president, president and the vice president. Yeah, yeah I know. Exactly. It's too valuable to the Bears beat. I understand that. I think Biggs is the one who told me that, so that's good to know. All right, for Dan Weeder, Adam Sudzinski, I'm David Hall. Thank you to, for listening to the Take to the North podcast. We'll talk to you on Sunday night. Great talk. See you out there.